Chapter 4 Blessed are the poor in spirit. Having spoken of the general idea of blessedness, I come next to consider the subjects of this blessedness. Our Saviour has explained these to be the poor in spirit, the mourners, etc. But before I comment on these, I will attempt a little preface or paraphrase upon this sermon of the Beatitudes. 1. Observe the divinity in this sermon, which goes beyond all philosophy. The philosophers used to say that one contrary expels another, but here one contrary results in another. Poverty tends to expel riches, but here poverty results in riches, for how rich are they who have a kingdom? Mourning tends to expel joy, but here mourning results in joy. They shall be comforted. Water tends to quench the flame, but the water of tears kindles the flame of joy. Persecution tends to expel happiness, but here it makes one happy. Blessed are they which are persecuted. These are the sacred paradoxes in our Saviour's sermon. 2. Observe how Christ's doctrine and the opinion of carnal men differ. They think, Blessed are the rich. The world would consider him blessed who could have Midas's touch, that all he touched would be turned into gold. But Christ says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. The world thinks, Blessed are they on the pinnacle. But Christ pronounces them, Blessed who are in the valley. Christ's calculations and the world's do not agree. 3. Observe the nature of true religion. Poverty leads, and persecution brings up the rear. Martin Luther said that every true saint is heir to the cross. There are some who want to be thought of as religious, displaying Christ's colors by a glorious profession, but they cannot swallow this bitter pill of being poor in spirit and persecuted. They want to wear Christ's jewels, but forego His cross. These people are strangers to Christianity. 4. Observe the certain connection between grace and its reward. Those who are poor in spirit will have the kingdom of heaven. They are as sure to go to heaven as if they were in heaven already. Our Savior would encourage people to Christianity by sweetening commands with promises. He ties duty and reward together. As in the body the veins carry the blood, and the arteries the spirits, so one part of these verses carries duty, and the other part carries reward. As that scholar of Apelles, painted Helena richly drawn in costly and glorious apparel, hung all over with orient pearl and precious stones, so our Lord Christ, having set down several qualifications of a Christian, such as poor in spirit, pure in heart, etc., draws these heavenly virtues in their bright colors of blessedness, and sets the magnificent crown of reward upon them, so that by this brilliance he might set forth their unparalleled beauty even more, and entice holy love. 5. Observe here the connection of the graces, poor in spirit, meek, merciful, etc. Where there is one grace, there is all. As they say that the cardinal virtues are strung together, so we may say of the graces of the Spirit that they are linked and chained together. He who has poverty of spirit is a mourner. He who is a mourner is meek. He who is meek is merciful. 
etc. The Spirit of God plants a pattern of all the graces in the heart. The new creature has all the parts and characteristics, just as in the body there is a composition of all the elements and a mixture of all the emotions. The graces of the Spirit are like a row of pearls that hang together upon the string of the Christian religion and serve to adorn Christ's bride. I note this to show you a difference between a hypocrite and a true child of God. The hypocrite flatters himself with a pretense of grace, but in the meantime he doesn't have the manners of all the graces. He doesn't have poverty of spirit nor purity of heart, whereas a child of God has all the graces in his heart, at least entirely, even if gradually. These things being introduced, I come in particular to those heavenly dispositions of soul to which Christ has associated blessedness. The first is poverty of spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Chrysostom and Theophylact are of the opinion that this was the greatest sermon that Christ ever gave. Therefore, it may deserve our best attention. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Our Lord Christ, wanting to raise a high and stately framework of blessedness, lays the foundation of it low, in poverty of spirit. However, all poverty is not blessed. I will use a fourfold distinction. 1. I distinguish between poor in estate and poor in spirit. There are the devil's poor, who are poor and wicked, whose clothes are not more torn than their conscience. There are some whose poverty is their sin, who through waste or excess have brought themselves to poverty. These people may be poor in wealth, but not poor in spirit. 2. I distinguish between spiritually poor and poor in spirit. He who is without grace is spiritually poor, but he is not poor in spirit. He does not know his own poverty. They do not know that they are poor. Revelation 3.17. He is in the worst sense poor who has no sense of his poverty. 3. I distinguish between poor spirited and poor in spirit. They are said to be poor-spirited who have rude, corrupt spirits, and who act below themselves. An example of this type of person are those misers who, having large estates, yet can hardly spare bread for themselves. They live cheaply, and they are ready to wish their own throats cut because they are forced to spend something in satisfying nature's demands. Solomon calls this an evil under the sun. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. A man to whom God hath given riches, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth, yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof. Ecclesiastes 6 2. Religion makes no one a miser. Although it teaches prudence, it does not teach miserliness. Then there are those who act below themselves as Christians, while they sinfully comply and corrupt themselves to the whims of others. They are a base kind of metal that will take any stamp. For a piece of silver they will part with the jewel of a good conscience. They will be of the state religion. They will dance to the devil's pipe if their superior commands them. These people are poor-spirited, but not poor in spirit. And for I distinguish between poor in an evangelical sense and poor in a Roman Catholic sense. 
the Roman Catholics give a wrong explanation to the text. By poor in spirit, they understand it to mean those who renounce their estates, vow a voluntary poverty, and live in seclusion in their monasteries. Christ never intended this. He does not pronounce them blessed who make themselves poor, leaving their estates and callings, but those who are poor in an evangelical sense. Then what are we to understand by poor in spirit? The Greek word for poor is not only taken in a strict sense for those who live upon charity, but in a larger sense for those who are destitute of inward comfort as well as outward comfort. Poor in spirit, then, refers to those who are brought to a sense of their sins and seeing no goodness in themselves, despair of themselves, and plead for and hope entirely upon the mercy of God in Christ. Poverty of spirit is a kind of self-annihilation. I find such an expression in the writings of John Calvin. He says that the poor in spirit are those who see nothing in themselves but run to mercy for refuge. The publican was such a person. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Luke 18.13. The Apostle Paul was also of this sentiment. He said that he wanted to be found in Christ, not having his own righteousness. Philippians 3.9. These are the poor who are invited as guests to wisdom's banquet. Proverbs 9.1-6. Several questions may be considered here. 1. Why does Christ begin here with poverty of spirit? Why is this put in the forefront? I answer that Christ does it to show that poverty of spirit is the very basis and foundation of all the other graces that follow. You may as well expect fruit to grow without a root as to expect the other graces to grow without this. Until someone is poor in spirit, he cannot mourn. Poverty of spirit is like the fire under the still that makes the eyes water. When a man sees his own defects and deformities and looks upon himself as doomed, then he mourns after Christ. He sendeth the springs into the valleys which run among the hills. Psalm 104, 10. When the heart becomes a valley and lies low by poverty of spirit, then the springs of holy mourning run there. Until a person is poor in spirit, he cannot hunger and thirst after righteousness. Matthew 5, 6. He must first be aware of his need before he can hunger. Therefore, Christ begins with poverty of spirit because this ushers in all the rest. 2. What is the difference between poverty of spirit and humility? These are so similar that they have been taken one for the other. John Chrysostom understood poverty of spirit to mean humility, yet I think there is some difference. They differ as the cause and the effect. Tertullian says that none are poor in spirit except the humble. He seems to make humility the cause of poverty of spirit. Rather, I think that poverty of spirit is the cause of humility. For when a person sees his need of Christ and how he lives on the benevolence of free grace, this makes him humble. He who is aware of his own need and emptiness hangs his head in humility with the violet. Humility is the sweet spice that grows from poverty of spirit. 3. What is the difference between poverty of spirit and self-denial? 
In some things they agree, and in some things they differ. In some things they agree, for he who is poor in spirit completely denies himself. He renounces all opinion of himself. He acknowledges his dependence upon Christ and free grace. In other things they differ. The self-denier parts with the world for Christ, while the one who is poor in spirit parts with himself for Christ, that is, he parts with his own righteousness. The poor in spirit sees himself as nothing without Christ, while the self-denier will leave himself nothing for Christ. I have shown what poverty of spirit is. The words opened present us with the truth that Christians must be poor in spirit or that poverty of spirit is the jewel that Christians must wear. As the best creature, light, was made out of nothing, so when a person sees himself as nothing, then out of this nothing God makes a most beautiful creature. It is God's usual method to make a person poor in spirit and then fill him with the graces of the Spirit. When we work on a watch, we first take it apart into pieces and then set all the wheels and pins in order. In the same way, the Lord first takes a person all to pieces, shows him his ruined condition, and then builds him up. The reasons are the following. 1. Until we are poor in spirit, we are not capable of receiving grace. He who is puffed up with an opinion of self-excellency and self-sufficiency is not fit for Christ. He is full already. If the hand is full of pebbles, it cannot receive gold. The glass is first emptied before you pour in wine. God first empties a man of himself before he pours in the precious wine of his grace. None but the poor in spirit are within Christ's mission. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Isaiah 61, 1. That is, those who are broken in the sense of their unworthiness. 2. Until we are poor in spirit, Christ is never precious to us. Before we see our own needs, we never see Christ's worth. Poverty of spirit is salt and seasoning. It is the sauce that makes Christ sweet to the soul. Mercy is most welcome to the poor in spirit. What will he who sees himself clothed in filthy rags, Zechariah 3, 4-5, give for a change of raiment, even the righteousness of Christ? What will he give to have the fair mitre of salvation set upon his head? When a man sees himself almost wounded to death, how precious will the balm of Christ's blood be to him? When he sees himself deep in debt with God, and is so far from paying the debt that he cannot add up the debt, how glad would he be of someone paying the debt for him? The pearl of great price, Matthew thirteen forty-five to 46 is only precious to the poor in spirit. He who lacks bread and is ready to starve will have it no matter the cost. He will give his garment as a pledge. He must have bread or he is undone. It's the same way to the person who is poor in spirit, who sees his need of Christ. How precious is a Savior! Christ is Christ, and grace is grace to him. He will do anything for the bread of life. Therefore, God will have the soul tested in this way to enhance his value and estimate of the Lord Jesus. Until we are poor in spirit, we cannot go to heaven. 
Theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 5, 3. This tunes and prepares us for heaven. By nature, a person is full of self-confidence, and the gate of heaven is so narrow that he cannot enter. Poverty of spirit lessens the soul. It peels off its excess, and now he is fit to enter in at the straight gate. Luke 13:24. A large cable cannot go through the eye of the needle, but if it is untwisted and made into small threads, then it may. Poverty of spirit untwists the large cable. It makes a person little in his own eyes, and then an entrance will be made to him abundantly into the everlasting kingdom. 2 Peter 1.11. Through this temple of poverty, we then enter into the temple of glory. It shows that a Christian's riches rest in poverty of spirit. Some people think they are rich if they can fill their bags with gold, but those who are poor in spirit are those who are rich. They are rich in poverty. This poverty entitles them to a kingdom. How poor they are who think themselves rich! How rich they are who see themselves poor! I call it the jewel of poverty. There are some paradoxes in Christianity that the world cannot understand such as a person becoming a fool so that he may be wise, 1 Corinthians 3.18, saving his life by losing it, Matthew 16.25, and being poor to be rich. Reason laughs at it, but blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This poverty is to be labored for more than all riches. Under these rags are hidden cloths of gold. Out of this carcass comes honey. Judges 14, 8. If the poor in spirit are blessed, then by the rule of contraries the proud in spirit are cursed. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 16, 5. There is a generation of people who commit idolatry with themselves. There is no such idol as self. They admire their own works, moralities, and self-righteousness, and upon this branch they graft the hope of their salvation. There are many people who are too good to go to heaven. They have abundance enough of their own growth, and they look down upon borrowing from others or to be indebted to Christ. The devil has blown these balloons up with pride, and they are swelled in their own conceit. But it is like the swelling of someone with edema, whose swelling is his disease. This is how it was with that proud Pharisee. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. Luke 18, 11-12. Here was a man setting up the topsail of pride, but the publican, who was poor in spirit, stood afar off and would not lift up as much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his chest, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Luke 18, 13. This man carried away the garland of victory. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. Matthew 18, 14. Before his conversion, the apostle Paul thought he was in a very good condition touching the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. 
Philippians 3, 6. He thought he could build a tower of his own righteousness, the top of which would have reached heaven. But in the end, God showed him there was a crack in the foundation, and then he got into the rock of ages. Paul wrote that he desired to be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Philippians 3, 9. There is not a more dangerous precipice than self-righteousness. This was Laodicea's attitude. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. Revelation 3, 17. The Laodicean church thought they needed nothing, when indeed they had nothing. How many does this condemn? We see some ships that have escaped the rocks, yet are cast away upon the sand. In the same way, some who have escaped the rocks of flagrant sins end up cast away upon the sands of self-righteousness. How difficult it is to convince such people of their danger! They will not believe that they may be helped out of their dungeon of these rotten rags. Isaiah 64, 6. They cannot be convinced that their situation is as bad as others would make it. Christ tells them they are blind, but they are like Seneca's maid who was born blind but would not believe it. She said that the house was dark, but she was not blind. Christ tells them they are naked, and he offers his white robe to cover them, but they are of a different persuasion. Because they are blind, they cannot see that they are naked. How many people have perished by being their own saviors! Oh, that this might drive the proud sinner out of himself! No one ever comes to himself until he comes out of himself, and no one can come out of himself until first Christ comes in. If poverty of spirit is so necessary, how will I know that I am poor in spirit? You will know by the blessed effects of this poverty, which are 1. He who is poor in spirit is weaned from himself. My soul is even as a weaned child. Psalm 131, 2. It's hard for a man to be weaned from himself. The vine catches hold of everything that is near to cling to. There is some branch or another that a person tries to catch hold of to rest upon. How hard it is to be brought completely off himself. The poor in spirit are divorced from themselves. They see that they must go to hell without Christ. My soul is even as a weaned child. 2. He who is poor in spirit is an admirer of Christ. He has high thoughts of Christ. He sees himself naked and rushes to Christ so that in his garments he may obtain the blessing. He sees himself wounded, and just as the wounded deer runs to the water, so he thirsts for Christ's blood, the water of life. He says, Lord, give me Christ, or I will die. Conscience is turned into a fiery serpent and has bit him. He would now give all the world for a brass serpent. Numbers 21, 9. He sees himself in a state of death, and he realizes how precious just one leaf of the tree of life is, which is both for food and medicine. Revelation 22, 2. The person who is poor in spirit sees that all his riches, his wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, 1 Corinthians 1, 30, lie in Christ. In every difficulty, 
he runs to this stronghold and storehouse. He adores the all-encompassing fullness in Christ. They say of the oil in Reims that although they are almost continually using it, yet it is never depleted. That's how it is with Christ's blood. It can never be emptied. He who is poor in spirit can still resort to this fountain. He sets a high value and appreciation upon Christ. He hides himself in Christ's wounds. He bathes himself in his blood. He wraps himself in his robe. He sees a spiritual drought and famine at home, but he manages well in Christ. He says, Show me the Lord, and it is enough. John 14, 8. He who is poor in spirit is always complaining of his spiritual condition. He is much like a poor man who is always telling you of his needs. He has nothing to help himself with. He is ready to starve. It is the same way with someone who is poor in spirit. He is always complaining of his needs, saying, I need a broken heart, a thankful heart. He makes himself the most destitute creature. Though he dares not deny the work of grace, which would be bearing false witness against the Spirit, yet he mourns that he does not have more grace. This is the difference between a hypocrite and a child of God. The hypocrite is always telling what he has. A child of God complains of what he lacks. The one is glad he is so good, while the other laments that he is so bad. One who is poor in spirit goes from ordinance to ordinance for a supply of his needs. He would gladly have his supply increased. Use this to test yourself to see if you are poor in spirit. While others complain that they lack children or wealth, do you complain that you lack grace? This is a good sign. There is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. Proverbs 13, 7. Some beggars have died rich. The poor in spirit, who have lain all their lives at the gate of mercy, and have lived upon the arms of free grace, have died rich in faith, heirs to a kingdom. He who is poor in spirit is lowly in heart. Rich people are commonly proud and scornful, but the poor are submissive. The poor in spirit roll themselves in the dust in the sense of their unworthiness. I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job 42, 6. He who is poor in spirit looks at another's virtues and his own weaknesses. He disapproves not only of his sins, but also of how he has performed his duties. The more grace he has, the more humble he is, because he now sees himself as a great debtor to God. If he can do any duty, he acknowledges that it is Christ's strength more than his own. Philippians 4.13. As the ship gets to the harbor more by the benefit of the wind than of the sail, so when a Christian makes any swift progress, it is more by the wind of God's Spirit than the sail of his own efforts. The poor in spirit, when he acts most like a saint, confesses himself to be the chief of sinners. 1 Timothy 1.15. He is more ashamed at the imperfections of his virtues than others are at the excess of their sins. He doesn't dare to say that he has prayed or wept. He lives, yet not he but Christ lives in him. Galatians 2.20. He labors, yet not he but the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 15.10. 
He who is poor in spirit is much in prayer. He sees how short he is of the standard of holiness, and therefore begs for more grace, Lord, more faith, more conformity to Christ. A poor man is always begging. You may know that someone is poor in spirit if he is always begging for spiritual aid. He knocks at heaven's gate. He sends up groans. He pours out tears. He won't move away from the gate until he has received help. God loves a modest boldness in prayer. God will not turn away those who sincerely pray in this way. The person who is poor in spirit is content to take Christ upon his own terms. The proud sinner will want to negotiate and try to write up an agreement or contract with Christ. He wants to have Christ and his own pleasure, Christ and his covetousness. However, he who is poor in spirit sees himself lost without Christ. He is willing to have him upon his own terms, a prince as well as a savior. Jesus, my Lord. Philippians 3 8. Those who are in a castle that has long been besieged and is ready to be taken will surrender on any terms that will save their lives. He whose heart has been a stronghold for the devil and who has held out long in opposition against Christ, once God has brought him to poverty of spirit and he sees himself condemned without Christ, is ready to accept God's terms no matter what they are. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Acts 9, 6. He who is poor in spirit will do anything in order to have Christ. He will behead his beloved sin. He will, with Peter, cast himself into the water to come to Christ. John 21, 7. He who is poor in spirit is an exalter of free grace. None magnify mercy as much as the poor in spirit. The poor are very thankful. When Paul had tasted mercy, how thankfully he adored free grace. The grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. 1 Timothy 1.14. It was super-exuberant. He sets the crown of his salvation upon the head of free grace. As a man who is condemned and has a pardon sent to him, how greatly he proclaims the goodness and clemency of his prince. The Apostle Paul displays free grace in its bright colors. He intersperses free grace into all his epistles. As a container that has been perfumed makes the wine taste of it, so Paul, who was a vessel perfumed with mercy, makes all his epistles to taste of this perfume of free grace. Those who are poor in spirit bless God for the smallest crumb that falls from the table of free grace. Labor for poverty of spirit. Christ begins with this, and we must begin here if we will ever be saved. Poverty of spirit is the foundation stone on which God lays the superstructure of glory. There are four things that may persuade Christians to be poor in spirit. 1. This poverty is your wealth. You may have the world's riches and yet be poor. You cannot have this poverty of spirit without being made rich. Poverty of spirit entitles you to all Christ's riches. 2. This poverty is your nobility. God looks upon you as people of honor. He who is vile in his own eyes is precious in God's eyes. The way to rise is to fall. God esteems the valley as highest. 3. 
Poverty of spirit sweetly calms the soul. When a person is brought away from himself to rest on Christ, what a blessed calm is in the heart. I am poor, but my God shall supply all my need. Philippians 4.19 I am unworthy, but Christ is worthy. I am destitute, but Christ is infinite. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Psalm 61.2 A person is safe upon a rock. When the soul goes out of itself and centers upon the rock, Christ, it is then firmly settled upon its foundation. This is the way to comfort. You will be wounded in spirit until you come to be poor in spirit. And four, poverty of spirit paves a thoroughfare for blessedness. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Are you poor in spirit? If so, you are a blessed and happy person. It is happy for you that you were ever born. Wherein does this blessedness appear? Hear the next words. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven.